Please may we take our seats in preparation for the next session. Our next um, item on the agenda will be a conversation with Lausanne Human um, and Kudzai Chigiji. This will be followed by a panel on neo-challenger banks and a closing remark from the ASA Banking Committee. We hope you enjoy the last portion of the banking seminar. Okay, so some of you will recognize our guest here. She um, was at the helm of one of the big banks, um, and I guess, yeah, you'll hear from her bio why I'm very excited to have this conversation with her. So welcome, thank you very much for joining us today, um, Lizanne. And let me just read you her bio. Lizanne has an MSc cum laude in applied mathematics from the University of Stellenbosch and an MBA cum laude from the University of Witwatersrand. She has had a varied and colorful career to date, from working as an industrial engineer in a factory on the Cape Flats to developing international methodologies for a large consulting firm in America and conducting training in Europe. Her experience spans both the digital as well as the bricks and mortar worlds. She was involved in the first e-commerce bubble 20 years ago, as well as in the subsequent move towards an ever-increasing digital world. She, had a, she has an extensive experience in the turnaround of businesses, as well as in the building of successful businesses from small startups. Lizanne has started her, career, um, started her career in financial services by consulting to several large banks in South Africa. She then joined the first round group where she managed large banking teams as the CEO of various companies and business units within first round. During her tenure at first round, she directly drove large turnarounds which had a direct impact on the bottom line and future direction of the bank. She's currently actively involved as a co-founder and executive director in building a new app-only bank that which you will know as Bank Zero. I think only if you're living under a rock you would not have heard of Bank Zero. So thank you once again for joining us today. So I've just got a few questions for you. Okay, but before you ask, yes. I'm in a digital bank, but I don't know how to work this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Great. Let's hope I can figure it out. Okay. Some elbow grease, it seems. Okay, so what initially sparked the idea of creating a neo bank? Okay, so um, we and I as well really wanted to continue focusing on innovation, but innovation at a very fast pace and in a very cost-efficient way. Um, so, as you heard, I come from a bank that is known for its innovation and its entrepreneurship, and a lot of my co-founders come from that same bank as well. So there was nothing wrong with innovation happening there, but when you are in a big organization, you can only move at a certain pace. You sit with legacy systems that need a lot of time and it's very expensive to change and, and, and roll out quickly in terms of innovations. And we wanted to launch something very quickly and also at very low cost. So that was the one reason. And then the other reason is that um, it's about wanting to make a real difference. A difference in the world, I guess, if we want to go as wide as that. But um, just starting here in South Africa, um, and then if you are in financial services, it's a skill that you have, then that's a place to start. So with Bank Zero, the whole point of Bank Zero is that it is about bringing about change. Change in the world, change in financial services. And we've already seen with the big incumbent banks how some of the pricing has dropped um, off the entry-level accounts um, as a result of this. So we believe in the inclusion of individuals, financial inclusion, um, not only about allowing everybody to have a bank account, 
but also to get financial education, to have financial freedom. There are more than 20 million people that do not get bank statements every month. So they have no clue what's happening within their bank accounts. So they have no idea how much they pay for banking and where their money is going to. And that's what we want to change. But it's not only inclusion of individuals, it's inclusion of businesses. So if you look at businesses, especially small businesses, they are the entrepreneurs. They are the people that drive the economy. But they pay high banking fees and they don't have the functionality within the banking accounts that we feel they should have. So you often hear about an entrepreneur that was scammed by his financial or admin person because they don't know what's happening in their bank accounts. So it's really about wanting to make a difference and wanting to do it very quickly and cost-efficiently. That's incredible. Very bold also to go out on your own um, outside of a large bank. Yeah. But yeah, well done. Thank you. You have a strong quantitative background, having studied mathematics for your undergrad and statistics, applied mathematics that is, and continued all the way to your master's in the same field and then obtaining your MBA. How has your strong quantitative background prepared you for the various leadership roles um, you've held over the year? And oh, I, I need to point out that um, you heard a very summarized version of her journey at, uh, at, at uh, FMB. She was CEO of how many divisions while you were there? Um. <laughs> One, one, two, three, I think four. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, how, how did that prepare you, your background? How did that prepare you for all those leadership um, roles? Okay, so all of you that have done lots of technical training will know that your technical skills and the application of those skills, what you studied, this is what you do now, and every five years basically changes totally. So you can't really go with what you studied and think that you're going to apply that 20 years later. Skills change. So it's interesting, but I think that what I studied and what you would have studied actually prepares you more for leadership than it prepares you for the technical side in the long run. Um, if I think of what I had to take out from what I studied, you learn problem solving because you learn to logically work through something because everything has a solution. It might not be the ultimate solution, but any sticky problem has some form of a solution and that is what a leader needs to do. Um, one learns logic and common sense, which allows you not to make assumptions and not to fall into emotions, especially when you have a team that has a lot of emotions running. So I think that's critical. Um, Pattern recognition. You would have all learned how to look at data and start identifying the patterns. And it's those patterns that gives you the ahas. And the leader must be able to spot those ahas and those opportunities. So I think it's actually that training that you, gave, that you got um, how to optimize resources um, that makes you a good leader. I think one of the best skills that an actuary has that makes them a better negotiator than anyone else out there is because you understand numbers a lot quicker than the normal person. And I found that as well with me. So especially when you walk into negotiation and you have your numbers on the table, the other person has their numbers on the table, and then you veer off in a totally different direction. If you can very quickly make that calculation in your head and know where to extrapolate to, you can win the negotiation very quickly. So I think it really prepares you for leadership. Um, but I think you need to decide if you want to be a leader. Because leader sounds very fabulous. <laughs> leader involves lots of admin. It involves lots of HR issues. 
it involves lots of sitting in excos, it involves lots of report writing. So I think that there are so many ways in which you can make a difference in an organization and in the world out there. Um, and leadership isn't necessarily in a leadership position. It's by spotting those opportunities and, and going for it and making that difference. So I think that segues quite nicely to the next question. So I think what I've heard from a lot of um, young people in the profession is that they feel that they have these strong skills and that they could add value in other parts of the organization or further up the value chain, but feel that they're just not connecting or they don't know how to show the value that they can deliver. And so how do you think young, strong quant employees, not just actuaries, but um, within banks, um, I guess, such as um, actuaries in this room, can better position themselves to be able to move into more strategic leadership positions, or even just, not just the positions, but to provide value at a strategic leadership level? What are you doing wrong? <laughs> Hands up, who of you have had to present to a board or an exco or the management team of your business unit, and you walked out of there and you said, I'm so frustrated because I did this big piece of valuable work, and they all sat there nodding. It went like this over their head, their eyes closed over, and they didn't at all get what I wanted to say, and they just didn't approve what I wanted to do. Have you had that experience? Lots yeah, of nodding. I see lots of <laughs> nodding heads. That's a conversation I've had so often with actuaries um, in my businesses as well. So I think the role of an actuary is not only to create a model when you're required to do that, not only to wait for the results that pop up, but to keep on asking way beyond what you were tasked to do, so what? What does this mean? And can, can't I go deeper? And so what? So what? Why? Why? Um, and then not only to get to that final so what, but to communicate it. So in other words, speak to, and I'm now talking to the more junior people here in the audience, obviously there are lots of very senior people here, um, speak to your superiors about what you've seen and communicate that with them. And not only communicate it with them, but make it really practical and applicable and interesting. Um, so Richard Feynman is one of my favorite um, all-time scientists that lived. And he, for example, wouldn't say the dinosaur was nine meters tall. He would say the dinosaur was three stories high. So it's immediately just practical and you can see immediately in your head what that dinosaur looks like. So I think that's a big thing, is to get to the bottom of a, of a solution, uh, of a problem, and to really make it practical and interesting. Okay, well that's... Um, yeah. And, and, and sorry, I mean, obviously, um, numbers enough are not enough on the other. It's about EQ as well. You Definitely. do need EQ. Definitely. Um, I guess we, we all know that actuaries are, are notorious for not always exercising their EQ. I, I believe we have it, but um, we, we don't make enough effort <laughs> to exercise it as much as we could. So, I mean, if you look at your career and the various positions you held, and, you know, we've spoken about your more technical skills, but how do you feel... Um, that your career and your various roles prepared you to found Bank Zero? So, I guess one of the good experiences was that um, I was in the digital world in the previous wave. So, just like blockchain had its waves, first one and now the next one coming through, um, I recognized one face in the back that, was that I met during the first dot-com wave. Um, 
So then it was all about digital and going digital. I don't know who else of you were involved in the first dot-com wave in the late 90s, early 2000s. But at that point, every business wrote dot-com behind them, and they wrote the E in front, and then they produced a website that had brochureware on it, and then they tried to do e-commerce, and the logistics never worked, and the payment gateways never worked, and then it all crashed. And the banks all had the internet banking um, systems, and they didn't work properly. But we learned so much from that. So when we went from the first dot-com wave, and I jumped in into um, first round, and seeing how we took a bricks and mortar world and slowly made it more and more and more digital to the digital bank that it is now and seeing all the other banks where it happened as well. I think that helped me a lot. I think what helps a lot is having been inside a big business, then running big businesses, but within the safety net, very, very, very happy to have had that, the safety, safety net of managing those big businesses with a big dad that was um, looking after you. And then finally, being able to do your own business. I think you learn respect. Uh, the business world is hard. To have a successful business, to have a successful bank is incredibly hard work over many, many years. So it's respect, it's um, discipline of good management principles. Um, and I guess it's learning not to be an arsehole. Because <laughs> I think very often, um, apologies for the term, but I think very often an entrepreneur can um, say, oh, I'm going to change the world because everybody out there just don't know how businesses work and they just do not understand what the industry is about. And I'm going to change it because I have this new view. And until you, you've been inside a business, you know how hard it is to run a business. I think that is critical. I think what also helped was having been in consulting where you um, have all these great conceptual ideas and you tell people what to do and then you jump over the fence onto the other side and you're inside a business and then you realize it's a lot more easy to have an idea than to implement an idea. Um, but the consulting world taught me to think conceptually and to think bigger picture. But then the business world told me to, uh, or um, helped me understand how to implement it. Well, um, that's an incredible combination. Um, oh yes, I think it wasn't very clear. She's an ex-Deloitte consultant as well. <laughs> So, and I think let, let's jump into the actual business. So Bank Zero, you've got several co-founders. What is the balance of strengths like with your fellow co-founders? I mean, some of them, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about them, we know them, um, and we now know your profile. Do you have any personal advice as well, aside from that, for those who are looking to start a company with someone else? So two parts of the question, the balance of strengths that you're seeing that the different co-founders have brought, and then based on your experience, any advice for the entrepreneurs who are coming out of the, the banking space? And oh yes, by the way, it's not just actuaries today. We've got a lot of people who are working in fintechs and asset management space, the investment space in the room. Okay. Um, so all us co-founders have, say, uh, I think we share the same passion for making a difference in the world, um, but we are fundamentally different. Uh, so most of you will know Michael, um, he is like the Michael Dan's uh, rock star of Twitter, so unless you are not on Twitter. Um, Michael is this inspirational person. He is clever, he can connect dots, he spots opportunities. He, when you talk to him, you just know that there's something good that's going to happen. So it's lovely when he walks into a room and we have a conversation, 
because he will bring thoughts from philosophy to what's happening in China at the moment in payments through to what's happening within retail in America into the same conversation. So it's great to have him on the team. Then we have Yatin, um, who's our CEO, and he is an unbelievable banking innovator. So at least once a week, he would walk into our office and he would come up with this idea that came into his head at two o'clock in the morning and then he would spend the whole night working on it and then bring it to us in the morning. And what's interesting about his ideas is that they're incredibly simple, simple, simple solution to a very complex problem. So when we launch and you look at our app, you're gonna find it incredibly simple, almost to the point of, is this it? But it's the specific functionality in there, the problems that it solves, where the secret lies. So the story. Um, so we're sitting at the Reserve Bank and we're now training how the settlement systems of the Reserve Bank works. So that's the level that we're getting involved. So we're all reading up specs and we're writing specs and I'm not allowed to code, but um, we have our coders. And we're sitting in the meeting and we're now getting trained on the system. So we have our CIO and he's asking all the technical questions. And how does the system connect to that system? And then what is this message MT103 that gets sent? And all those questions. Our CFO is much more on the financial side. Um, and she's asking questions about the GL. So by the way, the holy grail of any bank is if you can integrate your GL with your transactional system, with your data warehouse in one seamless process so that there's always that balancing always happens. That's the holy grail. It doesn't happen. Um, so she's asking all these questions to make sure that we have this integration. I'm sitting there and I'm figuring out, so I'm trying to connect the dots. So how does this system work with the PASA or the EFT systems and with what we want to do in the app? And I've read about something in terms of what the neobanks in the UK are doing that I want to bring in. Yatin is sitting there and he is just going, whoa, but the system does this, and that means we can actually save more costs by using this. And we can make revenue here, and spotting all those opportunities. And at the same time, Michael is tweeting us, and Michael is saying he just had lunch with this um, company, and they have this great idea, and he thinks he wants to introduce us because there's a partnership opportunity, and that's how, how it went. So that's a typical day in Bank Zero, how we would operate in totally different aspects, but we all bring it together. Your second question was? So it gets based on your experience now as an entrepreneur in this space, because a very big entrepreneur. Um, any advice for the people who have started their own businesses, looking to start their own businesses, about what do you look for in your partners? Um, how do you manage those relationships? I think it's a big thing to, to consider that people don't spend enough time thinking about. So do you have any advice on that? Um, so I think you start making the connections that lead to your co-founders long before you know that you do. Um, I think it is in the way that you work and operate. It is in the credibility that you build up over time. It is in what you observe in colleagues and people that you work with, that people get to know you and they know what you can do and what value you can add. So by the time that either you start up your own business or somebody else starts up a business, they know or you know who you want to speak to, to bring into that business. Um, networking obviously helps. It helps to, help to have the right networks, but without credibility it means nothing. So that's critical. 
What's also important is that you trust your founders, your co-founders, your partners, absolutely fundamentally. Um, it's a very vulnerable space to be in because you walk in and you need to ch tackle a challenge, a problem, and you have to say, I actually don't know what to do here. And you need to know that the person on the other side is not going to abuse you for that, but you're going to work together in finding a solution. So that's critical. You also need to have people being totally committed, um, skin in the game. Um, you can't have somebody just being a silent partner unless that is how you agree with them. But it helps to have so many heads thinking together on something. So yeah, it's, it's about, it's really about knowing the people that you're going into that relationship with. It's, a, it's very much a relationship that you build and, and, and continue building. Okay, thank you. So last question um, before we invite the other um, panelists. Where do you see the entrepreneurial spirit within financial services adding the most value in the near future? And I guess any final advice for those planning to embark on the journey, whether it's FinTech and SureTech or the entrepreneurial hubs that we have within our banks? Okay. Um, so I think an entrepreneur is going to be successful if they solve a problem that customers or that people out there have. If you have a very funky idea, but it's not solving a specific problem, then it remains a funky idea. But if you can find out what is a real problem that somebody is struggling with, and you try and solve for that, that is when I think you have a successful business. So what does it mean in financial services? I think that sometimes as an industry we lose track of what the customer wants and we don't have enough of a focus on the customer. And I'm not talking customer service because that's what it's become for a lot of banks or for the industry. Um, customer service is needed because the product, the process or the pricing is not working for customers. So that's why you end up with having to do customer service. So putting the customer in the center of everything, having products that, that work for them, pricing that makes sense for them um, and processes that are easy and simple and not cumbersome. That's where the difference is. So what does it mean if you want to do something on your own? Um, I think an important thing is you need to have enough savings or access to finance. Um, a business takes a lot of money. Whatever you think it would take in your financial plan, you have to double and triple it and then it might still not be enough. And you don't want to spend your energy on figuring out where your money is going to come from. You need to spend it on building your business. So make sure that you have um, enough savings. But at the same time, have skin in the game. So for example, at Bank Zero, none of us as co-founders draw a salary and we put all our own funding in there. So you are totally committed. It's not like you feel that, um, oh, that problem doesn't need to be solved. It's okay. We really have to make it work. Um, Get business, big business experience. I think that's critical. Don't try and be entrepreneurial if you haven't had some form of experience of how to run a business or see how other people run a business. I think that's important. But at the same time, don't get stuck in the, um, in the corporate world unless you want to remain there. Because not everybody wants to be in the entrepreneurial world. It's a, it's a scary world and I've seen that entrepreneurship is often the hold all term for people that are entrepreneurs and people that just cannot operate in the business world because they don't like reporting into anybody. Um, and that's not always the reason for being an entrepreneur. So 
if you want to be an entrepreneur, don't get stuck in the fat salary check for too long, because it is a lovely salary check. Ask me, but doesn't get one at the moment. Um, don't get stuck in the corporate perks. Uh, jump out when you still can, but make sure that you have enough savings. So I think it's, um, you need to understand where's your unique niche. And it can be in the corporate world as an entrepreneur, it can be out there, but just know what the values that you can add. Fantastic, thank you very much. I'm quite value adding, I think, in a different perspective, a different kind of conversation than we're used to having in these spaces.